In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them into springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. A most blessed All Saints Day to each and every one of you, my brothers and sisters in Christ. I've titled this homily, Every Tear, Every Tear. From those words we just heard, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There's nothing more dangerous to our ideas about what heaven is like than the Bible. The Bible, if we will allow it, will transfigure and transform everything we thought we knew about heaven into something much more glorious and wonderful and awe-filled. The elder, the heavenly elder, says to St. John, the lamb will be their shepherd. But first things first, who is the they? Whose shepherd will he be? These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. These are they who have died who have come out of this great tribulation and now stand before the throne of holy and almighty God, not clothed in their own righteousness, not clothed in their own good works, not clothed in any merits or worthiness in themselves, but clothed in robes that have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. Which means that every heavenly saint was once an earthly sinner. Every heavenly saint was once an earthly sinner. Every last human being who stands before the throne of the Lamb is a sinner with his sins washed by the blood of that very Lamb. How strange the language and imagery of heaven. The heavenly elder says to St. John, the Lamb will be their shepherd. But of course, we know that it is this very same shepherd who for our sakes became the lamb, the lamb of God upon whom God graciously lays all our sins, all our sorrows, all our iniquities. When your heart condemns you, when your conscience chastens you, those sins that are brought to your mind, see them not as yours, but as Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. The shepherd becomes the Lamb, and here in Revelation, in the heavenly vision, the Lamb once more becomes the shepherd. And if you turn shepherd into Latin and Latin into English, you see that our Lord Jesus himself is our good pastor. Our good pastor. How wonderful it is to think of our loved ones who have died in the Lord, in heaven, safe, safer than they would ever be here with us, comforted 
with much more comfort than we with our arms could ever give them here on earth, comforted by Jesus himself, our good pastor, loved by him, by all the saints, an entire family of God, by angels and archangels, indeed, as we say, all the company of heaven, surrounding this good shepherd, this good pastor. The lamb will be their shepherd. And very often, when we think of heaven, we think of it as if it were some kind of static picture or painting. All the business and action is happening down here while up in heaven it's still and finalized and maybe a little bit boring. Just about the opposite is true. In heaven everything is so much more concrete and real and genuine and we are so much more ourselves cleansed by Jesus and with our Lord Jesus that by contrast this life and this earth look like a bad dream. This life and this earth look like delusion and a fever dream, an unreality. There in heaven, the good shepherd takes our loved ones and we who join them. And he leads them to the source of living water, to the springs of living water. Now, this isn't something we usually think of. Heaven is a place that's dynamic, filled with action. The good shepherd is leading his sheep to living water, and there all the sheep are drinking freely of the water of life. There's a process being brought to the living water, drinking the living water, and then we are told that this same good shepherd, God, as he is called, wipes away every tear from their eyes. From whose eyes? Those who are coming out of the great tribulation. Those who are dying. And the picture given to us by the language is that this is a continual ingathering. That every single day, saints of God on earth are coming out of the great tribulation and joining that great congregation in heaven that surrounds the Lamb. And there the Lamb, our Lord God, is wiping away every tear from their eyes. Wait a minute. Tears in heaven? Apparently so. That's precisely what the Bible here teaches. Why on earth would we have tears in heaven? It's speculative to be sure. Would it be because of sins that we have done? Maybe because of the realization that we hurt others much more deeply and prof more profoundly than we ever knew? Possibly. But if so, following shortly thereafter the absolution, the forgiveness of our sins spoken by the Good Shepherd himself and the wiping away of every tear that flows from our eyes, not only forgiveness, but healing. Might there also be tears on account of the sins that others have done against us or against those whom we love? God does not simply dismiss this as unimportant, nor is there some sort of transcendent, heavenly, ah, get over it. Our Lord Jesus is a tender and compassionate pastor, a good shepherd, 
who hears our sorrows, comforts us with his word, and wipes our tears away, healing us in this way also. Might we also even find occasion in heaven to weep for the great darkness and delusion, the great lies and sorrows of this life that we endured, that so many who we love endured, that so many continue to endure, even once when we are in heaven. Absolutely. But there too, God, our Lord Jesus, will wipe away every tear from our eyes. How wonderful it is to long for heaven, to be free from this sinful world. How wonderful it is to long to be with those whom we love, who have died in Christ and gone on before us. But how much more wonderful it is, how much more do we long to simply be with Jesus himself. He is the heart of heaven and the heaven of heaven. In fact, I'd even go so far as to say if you were in hell but Jesus was with you, you'd very much still be in heaven. Wherever he is, there heaven is. How we long and desire to be with him. I've got a quote from C.S. Lewis I want to share with you. It's a little bit long, but it's worth it. He says, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably, earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care, on the one hand, never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other, never to mistake them for something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and to help others do the same. We long for healing, for fulfillment, and for satisfaction, the likes of which this world, as wonderful as it may be, cannot give. But our Lord Jesus promises to lead us to those living waters, to wipe every tear away from our eyes, and we shall be healed, satisfied, at home, at last. It's a strange fact, but we die as unfinished projects. 
We even sense this sometimes when uh, there is one who is taken from us far too young and we think, that couldn't have been it. But the truth is, no matter how old we are, there's never a point at which you say, okay, I finally made it. That's all the work God has to do in me. I'm ready to go. No, we die, each one of us, as unfinished projects. In the language of Hebrews, we die as those having not yet received the fullness of the promise. Here we are at the end of the Bible. If we allow ourselves to go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, we remember these words that God spoke. Let us make man in our image. Now our assumption is that God finished his work making man in his image on the sixth day and there was simply no more to it. But where is that assumption borne out anywhere else in Scripture? What God did in creating man in his image originally in the garden was analogous to creating a seed and saying, it is finished, and then planting it into the ground. That seed still has to grow and mature before it comes to its full maturity and completion. And the same is true when it comes to these words of God, let us make man in our image. We have not yet attained to the image of God. We are not yet completed projects. Now this becomes all the more clear when we consider ourselves, when we, ask, we consider for ourselves and ask the Bible, hey, what is this image of God? Colossians 1 answers this way. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Who is the imprint and image of God? Our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only human being who has reached the fullness of what it means to be a human being, to be man made fully in the image of God. And what do the scriptures then say? We are being conformed to Christ. We are being made into the image of Christ and thus coming finally and ultimately to the completion of God's creative purposes in us when we die as Christ died, when we rise as Christ rose, and when we ourselves are made, as Luther says, into little Christ. What higher and greater honor could we conceive of than for all eternity to be little Christ, men made in the image of Almighty God? God so loves you that he even foreordains your suffering. This is something the Lutheran reformers understood, and I'm envious of them. They got it right from the scriptures. Thankfully, they wrote it down. Here's how it goes. God, in his counsel, before the time of the world, determined and decreed that he would assist us in all distresses. He determined to grant patience 
give consolation, nourish and encourage hope, and produce an outcome for us that would contribute to our salvation. Also, Paul teaches this in a very consoling way. He explains that God in his purpose has ordained before the time of the world by what crosses and sufferings he would conform every one of his elect to the image of his Son. Before the foundation of the world, God knew you and purposed you to be made into the image of his Son. Not only that, but he foreknew, foreordained, and purposed exactly which sufferings and crosses he would use in order to do this wonderful work. It may not feel like it, but God is perfectly in control. It may not seem like it, but God has everything right in his hands, just as the potter with his clay, and he is shaping and forming you to be a little Christ now and for all eternity. The suffering and crosses that we bear in our bodies, the older you get, the more it hurts. <laughs> Some of you have told me, yeah, you haven't seen anything yet, and I believe you. I believe you. That pain and suffering we feel in our bodies and the crosses we bear, the pain and suffering we feel in our minds, in our hearts, where things just aren't right and we can't make them right. Those sufferings and crosses, those spiritual labors, the spiritual attacks of the devil and the powers of darkness, even where God feels distant and draws away from us, all of these things he uses in order to shape and conform us into Christ. And though these pain us, we have this wonderful promise. He will wipe every tear from our eyes. Washed in the blood of the Lamb, we become lambs of God. From mortals, we become immortal. From fallen man, we are made into the image, man in the image of God. God so loves you that he even knows and foreordains your sufferings and crosses. And perhaps in those moments where you think to yourself, there are people that I can't fix. There are situations that I just can't change. You could picture there a sign that says, God at work. And it may just be that you are the one he's working on most of all. Believe, hope, and love, knowing that you will be satisfied. You will be fulfilled. God will heal you and wipe every tear from your eyes. Led to the streams of living water, Christ will give you drink, and the good shepherd will wipe away your every tear. Jesus died to forgive your sins, and he rose to be your pastor, now and forever. One final thought. It's an audacious one from St. Paul. It's a bit offensive. He writes, For our light and momentary troubles 
are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Wait a minute. Light? Light troubles? Well, St. Paul, of course, beaten within an inch of his life how many times? Starving in rags, mistreated, thrown into jail, thrown into prison, ultimately killed, martyred for the faith. And he says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Isn't that great? We fix our eyes on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, not on what is temporary, not on election results. Should I repeat that? Not on the stock market, not on the weakness of our own flesh and our failings, not on the perishing of our bodies, not on the grave and the supposed finality of death. We fix our eyes on Jesus, on what is eternal. He is our true king. His gifts are our true riches. Though our outer flesh is indeed perishing, it is he who renews the inner man in us day by day. And never forget, we win. Because of Jesus, we win. He undoes death. He laughs at its claim to being final. No, he bursts forth on Easter morning. He destroys death by his death and rises to conquer death forever. This Lamb of God who takes away our sins is also the shepherd who wipes away our tears. May God bless you all richly this All Saints Day. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.